Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's word with you through this week's message. Everybody, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Good? Trust you had a great week and uh, things are going well. It's, it's the first day of the week, so it couldn't be too bad, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we knew we were in for a challenge this morning when um, we picked this topic, and um, I'll tell you maybe a little bit about that later on, but um, we're going to jump into a series called A Thing or Two, but um, before we do, i got to give you a good report. So thankful to all the people who've been praying uh, for my wife, and as you know, she's been uh, going through this little situation with cancer, and uh, so she's at home resting today, but the uh, surgeon, um, they called Wednesday, and they gave us a good report that they got all the cancer, and she also is on the mend now. So, yeah, thank you, Lord. So we had a little Christian gospel hoedown Wednesday afternoon and shouted. You probably heard me all the way um, in Bay Manette, um, shouting the praises of the Lord. Uh, continue to pray for her as she continues to rest. And so what the journey looks like now is for the next uh, five weeks, she'll recover and get healed, and then she'll begin uh, radiation protocol for another five weeks uh, in um, in Knoxville. And so we're going to be um, thanking the Lord for that. And so uh, she sends you her love, and we've been so overwhelmed by your thoughtfulness, your kindness, your generosity, and your prayers. Um, and uh, Melissa said to me, she said, I've really been challenged by our own church to love better. She goes, I, I don't know. I've, I've never been loved like we like I have been loved, she said. And I just pray that I can love um, as good as I have been loved in the days to come. And so anyway, thank you again so much for that. It means so, so much uh, from, from our hearts to yours. Well, there was a 95-year-old fella. He was feeling a little puny. So he went to the doctor and got a little checkup and everything. And a few days later, the doctor was in the park, and this uh, older fella was walking down towards him with this beautiful, beautiful lady next to his side, and he seemed just as happy as a little kid in a candy store, just smiling from ear to ear, and just kind of almost skipping along next to this beautiful lady. And the doctor said, uh, wow, seems like you're really feeling a lot better. He goes, yes, sir. Absolutely. After I took your orders as a doctor, I've, I've been feeling really good. He goes, well, what orders was it that I gave you? He said, you know, doc, you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. He said, I didn't tell you that. I said, you have a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> oh, my. Well, how many here have ever had a, uh, a nickname in your life? Raise your hand. Nickname in your life? Raise your hand. Awesome. How, how many here have, have had two nicknames in your, your life? Come on. Uh, how, how, many here, how many here will never let any of us know what those nicknames are? Come on. <laughs> Is everybody here has never had a nickname? Anybody here that is that fortunate? Well, you never had a nickname? Okay, well, we'll have one for you before you leave here today. We'll, we're going to take care of that because we don't want you to be left out. Oh, my goodness. 
I, I uh, had many nicknames growing up, and uh, some people even asked me, you know, what, what, what does JP stand for? Is that your real name? I said, well, yeah, it is my real name, but it stands for, you know, many different things, actually, junk pile, justice of the peace, Jesus person, just pick and just name it, and uh, that's what it stands for. But well, I was doing some research one day uh, on names and people in the Bible and different things. I said, well, you know, I, I'm two-thirds of my name is in the Bible, James, Paul, and then Wilson's an old English word. I said, I'm just going to look up and see what those words really mean. And so I, to my utter shock and dismay, I found out that the word James means deceiver. <laughs> and Paul means little. <laughs> and Wilson is an old English word for a helmet of, of protection. And so I came to the realization I'm nothing more than a little deceiver with a hard head. You know what I'm saying? I... <laughs> What is the deal that they name me all these things? But I'm thankful that our names can be redeemed, aren't you? That we talked a few months ago about Jabez and how even his name meant pain, and he cried out to God, and God changed uh, even his pain into enlargement, and, and that we can rise above even what uh, our name is or what other people declare about us or say about us or even our own past, how we know we can rise above even our own past, that there was a, a A.D. and there was a B.C., come on, a before Christ and an after death, even though that's probably not what those Latin def, um, initials really mean, but, but for me, it kind of symbolizes that. Before Christ, we see A.D. after I died to myself. And I believe in the Bible we see examples as well of people who had names that had a name change. We have an example of Saul who's on his way to Damascus. And he was a religious man trying to please God religiously. But God wouldn't have nothing of it. And he struck, struck him to the ground. He saw a big light and said, I'm changing your name to Paul. In other words, Saul means demanding. And Paul means, as I mentioned, little, or it could also mean humble. And he said, I'm changing your name from a person that's arrogant and, 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 and demanding to be a, a very humble man. And he became one of the greatest apostles of humanity. We see examples of people like Simon, and he comes to Jesus, and Simon means hearing. And Jesus says to him, I'm changing your name. I'm giving you another name. I'm giving you the name Peter. And Peter means a rock. In other words, you're going to go from being a listener to a teacher. You're going to go from being a person that just absorbs to being a one that gives. Aren't you glad God has the ability to change our character and change our future? Aren't you glad about that? Come on. And then we have Jacob, a good example of that. Another derivative, James is a derivative of Jacob, which means deceiver, as I mentioned. And he, God, he wrestled with an angel, and his name was changed to Israel. Deceiver was changed to Israel. Israel meaning to rule with God. He became. He was a man that was untrustworthy and wrestled with the Lord. Had a meeting with God. Had an encounter with God. And he went from being untrustworthy to very trustworthy. And then we have a guy named Abe. Abe. Well, we call him Abraham, but the Bible started calling him first. We introduced to him as Abram. Abram means exalted father. But God said, "I'm going to change your name." God Himself said, "I'm changing you from Abram." to Abraham, and he, he went from being an exalted father to being a father of the multitudes. That's what Abraham means. In other words, he went from being a, a good dad and a good guy to being a god or a father of nations. And then his wife, Sarai, whose name means princess, was changed, God changed her name to Sarah. 
Ha, Sarah means to be a, a, a commander. In other words, she went from being a pretty lady to a woman that was very powerful and in charge. And what I'm saying is that God will come and he'll breathe into our lives and he'll change our direction of what we once were into something that now he's called us to be. And I want you to know that God has many names. He has many, if you would, nicknames. There's... But we're going to pick seven names of God that begin with Jehovah for the next several weeks. And we're going to just talk about these different names because every name that God has is a different characteristic of God. It's a different nature of God, a different perspective of God. It's like looking at a prism and you change it and it looks different as you just twist it and turn it. And God is the same way. It's like uh, he has, for whatever problem or situation or whatever virus you have, he's got a name, he's got a cure, he's got a solution. Aren't you thankful for that? And so we're going to jump into that and we named the series um, a thing or two, and, and I'm going to show you why we named it a thing or two, and it's basically from a commercial that I saw uh, at one time, and so uh, I want to show you this commercial just so you can get a hint of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, an innocent plug for farmer's insurance, but I like that phrase, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. How many parents in the house would say that to your kids? Quite often, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two, and yet your kids still don't believe you as well. I want to tell you, as a Christian, as a man of God, and you as a man, a woman of God, you've seen a thing or two if you walk with the Lord, and you probably have seen these different dimensions or natures of God. And we're just going to kind of pick them out. We're going to talk about these seven redemptive characteristics of God, all beginning with the name Jehovah, which means God. And we're going to be talking about God. Um, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi, Hebrew names, Jehovah Zikanu, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Shalom. Not today, but we're going to be talking about it, all right? Not all those today, but we will be talking about Jehovah Shalom today. Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Shalom means peace. God is my peace. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you have peace. Come on. You have peace. You have peace available to you at all times. So I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about wholeness. I'm talking about steadfastness. I'm talking about wellness. I'm talking about completion. These are definitions of peace. I'm talking about soundness. I'm talking about strength and even an implication of health. I'm talking about peace, bringing all of these incredible things to your life. The first introduction we see of Jehovah Shalom is from a character in the book of Judges. And before we just talk about this guy, let me just give you the context that we find of this individual. Israel had been in slavery for 400 and some years, and God delivered them through the hand of Moses into their promised land and into their destiny, into their purpose. And from there, they go into their promised land or enjoying the land of milk and honey, and everything is wonderful and fine. And then over time, um, they begin to adopt the customs of their neighboring nations around them and begin to take upon themselves the idols that the other nations were worshiping and following. And 
Suddenly, the God that had delivered them from Egypt became diminished and diminished and diminished and to such a point that God says, you know, if that's all I am to you, just another one of your gods, then I probably don't, I mean, well, I'll just take my umbrella blessing away and just let you have what you want. You obviously don't want me, so we'll let you have what you want. And, and as a result, the Midianites began to come into the country, and, and for the seven years, they were just... They were just really just plundering this nation called Israel. And so I want to read this uh, portion of Scripture. What God had done during this time was he was ruling his people through judges, people that would come up through time, and he would raise them up, and they would take the mantle of authority. Samson was a judge. Uh, um, he was one of those that you would be familiar with, and there was others. Deborah was a judge. Uh, other different ones would come up, and they would kind of lead Israel for a season. And, and one of these judges, his name was Gideon. We're going to talk about this guy here for a few moments. Judges chapter 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Seven years, that's a long time. So they're right in the middle of where they're supposed to be. But at the same time, while they're in the middle of where they're supposed to be, they're being oppressed by another nation. Literally, the word Midian means strife. You can write that down in your notes. It means strife, means contention, to be angry, to have conflict. What this tells me is that you can be delivered out of darkness or out of an addiction or out of your past or out of a circumstance, and God can literally bring you into your purpose and right in the middle of your destiny. You can even be right in the midst of even a great church and great people and things like that, and yet still have self-imposed chaos and drama encircling your life. Hello, somebody. You're like, how can this all be happening? I, I thought I loved you. I thought, God, you were good. I thought we, you know, we were tight. How, how come we're having all this drama? Well, here we are. We're seeing the same thing right here. And because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. I mean, in other words, what's happening is they, they, they're no longer even living in their homes. They're up in caves. They're, they're living in holes that they've dug out in the ground. They're hiding away. They're, they have no sense of um, a way of life that they've always known for years. And what had happened was that the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples had invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops. Nothing for them to eat. Neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys were spared. They came up with their own livestock and tents like swarms of locusts. And it was impossible to count them. There were so many people, so many camels invading the land. And they were ravaging it. And, it's, and, 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 and I'm telling you what I want to say. It is, it is possible to be in a place where you're supposed to be, yet you're supposed to be winning, yet you're losing. It's possible, let me say it like this, it's possible to be right where God's supposed to, you're supposed to be in God's economy of time for your life and yet be losing when you're supposed to be winning. See, whenever God puts you and you're right smack where, he's supposed to, where you're supposed to be in his will, you, guess what? You're supposed to be winning, not losing. And they're right where God had led them into the promised land, but they're losing. And so the angel of the Lord came, sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. 
And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In other words, God always speaks to our potential, not our present circumstances. God doesn't look at our present circumstances. He always talks to us towards and directs his attention towards our potential. Aren't you glad about that? He says, um, how you doing, mighty warrior? And, and Gideon says, uh, pardon me? In other words, in modern language, uh, excuse me? Uh, he says, uh, Gideon says, I, I, listen, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And why are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they were delivered how, how, and brought him out of Egypt? How, what's happened? The Lord's abandoned us and has given us into the land of Midian. The, Lord's, the Lord turned to him and said, you didn't go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Again, he says, pardon me, excuse me. And he gives them a reason why that doesn't make sense. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and, and I am the least in my family. In other words, I'm just a nobody of nobodies. And the Lord says, well, here's the deal. I'm going to be with you, and you're going to strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Here's this little nobody from nobody's will, threshing out wheat in, the, in a wine press, and the Lord calls out a mighty warrior from his heart. And when Gideon, so they had this little conversation, they did this a couple of things, and some God showed up and burned up a sacrifice. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. He so Gideon sees the Lord, and God responds and says to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. And it's even there to this day. Okay, would you mind grabbing uh, my little object there? Now, I, I'm... Grew up on a farm, and we didn't ever um, do as they were doing in Gideon's day where they would thrash wheat like that. Thank you, sir. But I know a little bit of, enough to, to know that when you, when, in those days when you were trying to get the grain, the grains that were on the top of the wheat stems off, you would just take it and you put a bunch of them together, and you just sat around, and you just beat the daylights out of these it was stalks of, of grain until the little pods of wheat would fall to the ground underneath, and then you would take the stalks that you'd beaten uh, so hard, and then you would burn them up or take them to another place and, and, and throw them away. And so this is where this um, conversation takes place. Gideon, the Hebrew child of God, is in a wine press doing something opposite of making wine. He's, he's threshing wheat. Now, why would you say he's doing Why is going on? Well, first of all, you've got to understand for the last seven years, they've been living hand to mouth. 
For the last seven years, they're eking out a living. In fact, he found, just happened to scrounge around and found a little stocks of wheat and, and just enough to maybe supply his family for the night or maybe a few days. And, and then what was he going to do? Who, who knows? They're, they, they're living in a cave, cave up on the other side of the mountain. He, he's just sneaking around trying to find some food here or there, just enough to, to get by. Hey, there's not a savings account. There's not, there's not a, a social security account. There's not a plan. There's not, there's not a 401k to be found. They are just trying to survive. And this has been going on for seven years. And so Midian, I mean, Gideon's pretty excited. They, he found some food for his family. So he sneaks around to a place where he didn't think the Midians would notice him to a wine press to thresh out his wheat. What are you saying? I'm saying he's scared out of his mind. He's fearful. doesn't want to get caught. He shouldn't be doing this. If they catch him, perhaps they could kill him. If nothing else, they would take it away. And so he's, he's, he's alarmed and his senses are on a high alert and he's looking for the Midianites to show up at any point. So he crawls down into this little wine press and he's down there and he's doing this number. Making a lot of noise. Doesn't want to be caught. Probably lifting his head up over the wine press from time to time. And lo and behold, about that time, there come walking up a fella. Now, I'm, 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 I don't know this is exactly how it all went down. But just play along with me because I'm sure it was something similar. And there's a guy who walks up and, and he's, he, obviously Gideon doesn't recognize him as a Midianite. But he doesn't recognize him as a threat either. But he doesn't have time to have a conversation with him. It's not the time to be saying, hey, how's the weather? How's your family? Who are you? Where are you from? He just, he's got to get this thing done. He's got a time frame. He could get caught at any moment. And then it's all over. He'll lose his, his food. And so, so he's just doing this and notices the guy. Now I can, listen, when you're God showing up as an angel, you don't have anything to worry about, Right? And so I can just see the angel. <laughs> just watching him. Seeing his head poke up from time to time. Maybe he gets bored, sees this little scaredy cat, little scaredy guy with his head up like this, like a little, like a little squirrel, and then go back down to beaten. Maybe he pulls out his pocket knife, starts whittling a little bit, you know? <laughs> finally, finally they have a little conversation. This guy says, uh, hey, mighty warrior. He's in a wine press, <laughs> thrashing wheat. Hey, mighty warrior. Yeah, you. No, you got the wrong guy. I don't know who you are, but you got the wrong guy. No, Mighty Warrior. Get in, Mighty Warrior. Who are you? What's going on? What's up with all this crazy talk? No, I got plans for you. I got some incredible plans for you. In fact, if you knew the plans I have for you, it would blow your mind. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. I mean, you may have been living in fear and anger and 
hurt and disappointment the last several weeks or months or even years. But I'm here to tell you the Lord is calling out something inside of you. You may have been living in heaviness and it's been like a cloud of unrest and discouragement over your life, maybe over your family or your circumstances, despair, hopelessness, depression perhaps, chaos, lots of drama around your life. But I'm here to tell you that there is a man who has come to visit you and to call out of you something that's inside of you, something that you don't even perhaps even recognize is there. I'm here to declare that in this house there's some mighty warriors. Come on. There's an army of the living God. There's some people that are not what everyone else thinks they are. And so they have this little conversation. But Gideon notices that while that man has been there, something has been going on even inside of his heart. When he jumped into this little wine press to begin with a few uh, moments ago, he was angry. He was disappointed. He was restless. Uh, he was um, uh, ticked off. He was mad at the circumstances. Nothing made sense. And he was tired of being in a stinking wine press doing something he wasn't meant to do in a place he wasn't supposed to be doing it for just for what? For just a few pieces of grain? How much longer is this going to be? Am I going to have to do this the rest of my life? Is this what my destiny is in life? Is this what I'm called to do? Can I not get out of this stinking hole that I found myself in and I didn't even have anything to do with it? Has anyone ever been in a place like that before? How do I get out of this thing? This cycle, I didn't even probably put myself into this. <laughs> But ever since that guy over there with that little thing out of his mouth has been, here, I, something's been going on inside of me. I'm, I'm like, I'm not afraid. In fact, I'm just going to keep my head up here and just go like this. I don't care if they do see me. I'm just going to whack this snot out of this little wheat. And, and I don't know what's going on, but I, I feel like kind of peaceful. This guy's like, like challenging me inside. I, I, feel, I feel this warmness in my heart. And I want you to know that he was so impacted, Gideon was so impacted by the presence of this angel. Can I tell you that angel was, it's a theophany. It's, it's the a theologian's term for an experience someone has where God literally shows up in, a, in another kind of a form and like an angel or something like that where God himself shows up. And can I just say it was not just an angel. It was, I believe it was Jesus himself. Come on, stepped off the throne room for just a moment just to expose a portion of himself to this man named Gideon. It was a theophany. It was God, Theo, God the, coming and manifesting his divineness in the presence of this man living in darkness and depression. And in that moment, Gideon was caught with this presence of peace. So, so caught up with this peace that he eventually would build an altar there and he would sacrifice on his altar and he would call it Jehovah Shalom. God is peace. And he would get up 
from that altar that he made where he st- found God in a way he never knew that God could be found as a, as a God of peace. Uh, and, and it filled him with such strength and such faith uh, and such courage uh, and such uh, a boldness uh, that he rose up in that night. Uh, he went and in, this, in the darkness of night, he took over his father's idols and tipped them over, and he started a revival. He started a movement of God. He started a, a mass revival. People began to be attracted to this little nobody called Gideon because when he spoke, he spoke like nobody else had ever spoken. He was filled with something. Something He'd had an experience. He had an encounter with God. What was this encounter? He was able to touch uh, the peace of God, and when the peace of God touches your life, uh, you rise up out of a wine press uh, and you take your sword uh, and you take your shield uh, and you do battle for the real, very purpose and reason that God birthed you to begin with in this world. You ch- it changes your life. And he had an experience, an encounter with the peace of God. And so my, my question to you this morning is where do I find peace? Where do I find this peace? Well, let me ask you this question. How many here, just be honest, Back in the day, you were a hippie. Come on, you were a hippie. You come on, uh, uh, come on, up, bold and strong, courageous. Come on, you're proud of it. Proud, proud. Yeah, yeah, that was you. All right, that was you. Come on, you. I, I could, I could. I, I don't even need to see a picture of you. you. Know what you look like? You had the bell bottoms. You had the tie dye shirt. Ladies, you had that little bead. Little bandana around here, and and you had some sandals on, and 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 uh, and and you had you had some. Uh, you <laughs> she, she's, we got a couple of hippies in there. They're proud of it. Yeah, they're up proud. They're like, whoa, going back in time. And you had that uh, you had that full like little sideburns going on you know out here and maybe a little Gucci going on and a little mustache happening and a VW van oh come on <laughs> and you had a little necklace like a little peace sign a big old fat little necklace right here that you wore proudly and you 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 told everybody you were a flower child you were, and and you were and and you just carried flowers around and 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 you drove all over the country looking for love come on and looking for peace. You went around like this, peace, baby, peace, peace, baby. You, you, you hated the Vietnam War. You, you didn't feel we were supposed to be there. And, and so you're going to looking for an experience, going to find love and peace, baby. And guess what? You never found it. You never found it. Because peace is not found in those places. Peace is found not in an experience, but in a person. And peace comes from the person of Jesus himself. John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to you. In other words, I'm not going to give and get it back. That's how the world gives. I'll give it to you, but you got to give it back. 
He says, I'm not giving it like that. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't even be afraid. Why? Because peace is found in the presence of God. And when you find peace, uh, and when you find the presence of God, you find your purpose, you find your destiny, you find courage, you find boldness, you find strength. Uh, despair leaves, depression leaves, hopelessness leaves, unrest leaves, drama leaves, chaos leaves. Why? Because the presence of peace has invaded your house. Come on, somebody. Gideon recognized that peace had shown up. He had probably lived his whole life and had never experienced what he experienced while he stood in that wine press. Never had he ever experienced this. It was palatable. It was, it was, it was life-altering. It wasn't just another conversation with some stranger coming down the road. This Angel, this stranger, so-called stranger, had an, an impartation into his life. And he, he rose from that wine press and he, he had one belief. God knows where I'm at. God knows what I'm called to. And I can trust this God. The moment you begin to move from fear into trust, from despair into belief, then everything changes in your life. And so he realized that God was with him and he could trust him. This morning when you walked in, you came in and you looked around and you found the seat and you sat down. I promise you I could go around to every single person in this room and I could ask you, before you sat in that chair, did you look at that chair and did you ask yourself, I wonder if this chair is going to hold me up? <laughs> no, not one of you did. Why, is, why, why didn't you look at that? Because, because you've sat in millions of chairs in your life and they all hold you up. Maybe you've had a one, every, you know, maybe once or twice, maybe something didn't. But for the most part, you don't ever question the strength or the power of a chair. You just naturally trust the chair. And if you can naturally trust to put your weight into a chair, can I ask how much more should you be able to trust the creator and the maker of the universe to put your life into his hands and know that he will take care of you? And when you can trust God automatically in all situations, you've now become a person who's entered into a realm of peace. Amen. So when do I find peace? Let's look at this in our notes sake. When do you find peace? You find peace in seasons of fear and upheaval. I think it interesting that when the disciples had seen Jesus die and it buried him into that tomb. And for the next few days, they are they're in upheaval. They're fearful. They're scared. They're gathered together and huddled up and worried and everything. And, and Jesus shows up on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders and Jesus just shows up. He just appears 
stands among them. And Jesus had been probably thinking about this day for a long time. The first conversation out of the tomb, the first conversation from the pits of hell where he had gathered the keys of hell, darkness, sin, and the grave. And he comes into the very room where his followers who had followed him and given up everything to follow after him, he now enters into this room where they, they're there and they're discouraged, they're, they're, they're de somewhat depressed, they're, they're wondering what just happened and what's going to come of their life now and where do they go now and what's going to happen next and, and everything's up in the air and Jesus shows up and hears his big words, he says, his first words <clears throat> out of the grave, Peace be with you. Talks, and then, and then again he turns around and he says it again. Peace be with you. Now listen, he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, hey, yo, everybody okay? Everybody survived the storm? We good? <clears throat> he could have said, uh, hey, I told you I'd come back. Or, hey, anybody got a glass of water? It was just hot where I was at a few moments ago. I'm, I'm a little thirsty, right? <clears throat> but no, he says, he chooses his words carefully. Peace. Peace. You could just sense the room. Something happened. Something shifted. They couldn't explain it, but when he said, peace be with you, it's like every worry, every fear, every thought, every apprehension was dispelled in one moment. Hmm. Peace is a presence. And when Jesus shows up in your life, he brings with him Peace. Hmm. We find peace in seasons number two of chaos and drama. How many know what I'm talking about when I say drama? Have you ever had any little kids around your house? Have you got any kids now in your house? Small kids, especially under the age of five. It's just chaos. It's just chaos. I remember... Literally, as we had, you know, three kids, you know, from five down, uh, and I would come home from work, and I'd take a deep breath before I walked into the house, <laughs> because in my world, outside the house, everything was in order. All the papers were where they were supposed to be, and, and everything was neat, and everything was just the way I wanted it to be, but when I walked into that house, I had no control. <laughs> and there would be toys thrown all over the house, and Melissa, bless her heart, her hair be like sideways and the kids' stuff was coming out of their nose and stuff out of their mouth and stuff out of their rear. Come on, it was just, <laughs> stop it, just stop, everybody stop. I couldn't control the atmosphere of our house. Everybody to bed. But dad, it's 5.30, I don't care, we're going to bed. It's chaos, I can't control it. Don't you hate those seasons in your life where it's just everything's out of control? I, I think you could identify perhaps even with this. Let's take it to a whole nother level. A movie I'm sure you're familiar with. 
growing up. Have you ever been there? Don't tell nobody. Don't raise your hand. It's chaos everywhere. You don't know how they handle it. You, you, you just can't get a grip on anything. Nothing makes sense. Everything's going wrong. Everything's against you, it seems like. But can I tell you, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking but it is a matter of righteousness and peace. Everybody say peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you've asked the Holy Spirit, come inside of me. He has come. He has filled you with himself. And he has baptized you with himself if you've asked him to. And he will come. And everywhere you go, he goes. And wherever he goes, peace goes. Uh, and I'm here to tell you the kingdom of God is inside of you. And where you walk peace walks. Where you go, peace goes. Uh, it's inside of you. It's there. It just has to be tapped into. Where does it show up? It shows up in these moments of chaos and confusion and drama. You have something you can plug into and you can just almost like put your earphones on. Come on. Your heavenly earphones on and plug into the King of Kings uh, and the Lord of Lords and just go smile all the way around. I don't care how bad the house may look and how how loud the kids can be. You got the peace of God. Number three, I find peace in seasons of conflict. People, somebody's upset with you. Someone's mad at you. Your boss is upset at you. Your spouse is upset. Perhaps there's conflict going on. The Bible tells us of Abraham had just finished having a battle. The only time we see Abraham fighting in his life He's fighting on behalf of Lot, trying to help out his friend and relative. And he's gone to war. He's coming back. He's, he's taking care of the situation, but he's on end. He's, he's, he's just all tensed up. He's like, you know, this isn't what I, I bargained for. This is not what I signed up for. I, I can't believe I, I'm even doing this. And he's got blood on his hands. He's, got, he's worn out. He's exhausted. He's, he's thinking, what in the world have I become? I've become like this mean person, you know, going around killing people, you know, on behalf of my, my, my relatives and trying to help them out. And, and there he finds this man. This man just shows up in his midst. And he recognizes him, calls him out by name, Melchizedek, the king of of Salem. Salem means peace. There's no record in all of historical books or even the Bible of this king. It's the only time we find him. He shows up uh, right when you're like at wit's end and when you're on all the nerves are on, on ready alert and you just don't know what to do. You're about ready to explode. And Melchizedek walks into your life, uh, the king of peace, the king of Salem, and he stands there and suddenly everything begins to melt uh, around you. Abraham begins to sense the presence of God and he's so taken back uh, that he literally tithes. He gives 10% of all that he has to this king of Melchizedek. This is another theophany, another Jesus showing up right in the midst uh, of Abraham's chaos. I'm here to tell you when you're having conflict, then God, Jesus, the king of peace, will show up. Number four, and lastly, when does peace come? It comes in seasons of storms. Seasons of storms. The classic story, obviously, is Jesus is in the boat. He's sound asleep. He's been doing ministry sun up to sundown for quite a while. He's obviously exhausted. 
Disciples are in the boat. They're fishers, seasoned fishermen. They've been on this lake. They, they know how this works. And, and yet now they're in the middle of a storm and waves are coming and crashing over into the boat. And, and they're wet and they're even fearful. And Jesus is just laying there asleep. The Bible says he's, a, he's asleep. He's asleep in the water's coming, you know. He's wet. He's going up and down. All around, waves, he's like this, and he's just smiling, just sleep. And the disciples come to the Messiah, the king of all kings, the, the creator of the universe. They come, and they shake him by the shoulders. Don't you care if we die? Don't you care? And Jesus is like, what, what, what? Look. We're about to drown. We're about to sink. We're going to be swimming for our lives. Don't you care? We're going to die. She just stands to his feet. He rubs the, rubs the water from his eye and his face. Puts his hand up and he says, what? Peace. Be still. Immediately everything dies down. The disciples are amazed. That even he has the authority to govern the things of the world. I want you to know that you can sleep in the midst of a storm. Have a worship team come. While they come, we get ready to close. I just wanted to share a little story and be authentic for just a few moments with you. Right before Christmas, when we received the news of my wife's um, diagnosis that she had cancer and it was malignant and at that point they, they didn't know to what extent and you know they had an honest conversation with us and they said we just don't know until we get in there we'll never know so you know it could be really bad it could be just you know beginning stages we just don't really know and um and, and we'll schedule surgery next week, and, uh, which ended up being a month later, actually. And so they tell you that, and they go, have a good day, and we'll see you soon. Okay. We'll try to do that. And so some of you have been down this road before, and, and you're familiar with this journey, and this has never happened in our life. My wife has never had any record of anything even in her family of something like this. And, and uh, so the first couple of nights, I mean, she handled like a, a pro, a real strong as she is person. And, uh, you know, just like, I'm like, what, what do you think? How, how, what, are you all right? You okay? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, well, how can you be fine? I mean, what do you mean you're fine? She goes, well, I, I mean, I don't know anything. She goes, I, how, I, 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 why get upset and worried until I know something? I said, well, I, I know, but doesn't that worry you? You know, <laughs> and she's, she's like talking me down. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting all worked up, and, and she's like all calm and goes to bed. I'm like, how, how can you sleep, you know? And, and, um, and so for that rest of that evening and that night, um, I, I didn't, I wasn't doing too good. I'll be honest, and my mind was just racing. You know, my thoughts were just taking me everywhere. 
you know, what, what would life look like for me, you know, without her and all this kind of stuff, you know, all these kind of, you know. And then day break came. I didn't sleep at all, that, just very little that night. The next day came, I kind of got my mind off. Then night came again, and here we go again. And uh, so then it started getting dark, and, and, and I couldn't sleep. And I was up all night walking back and forth, and just finally I was just exhausted. I was sitting in this chair uh, in our living room. It's a little rocking chair. And I was sitting there, and I'm embarrassed to say, as your pastor, but for 48 hours, I didn't even cry out. I mean, I, I mean, yes, I prayed, but, but for 48 hours, I, I, I can say I, I really didn't turn it over to him, you know? I, I don't know how to explain that. And so I sat there, and I said, God, hmm. I said, I, I, can't, I can't do this. You got this, and you know what's going on. And so I said, God, I, I, just, I just turn this over to you, and I give you my wife, and I give you my life, and I give you my family's life, and, and, and I'm, I'm just going to put this right over into your court, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to say thank you for taking that. Your word tells me, God, that you give your beloved rest, and I'm not really experiencing that, so I'm going to receive that tonight. And I'm going to walk into that bedroom and I'm going to lay down, Lord, and I'm going to go to sleep because you, you have this. And there wasn't any fireworks and nothing went off and nothing happened. But I want you to know I went into that bedroom and I fell fast asleep and got up and never thought about this situation really again. And, and almost to the point where I was feeling bad that I wasn't somewhat concerned, you know? Does that make sense? I was like, I should be more concerned than I am. Um, and, and, and it's like this peace just enveloped me, enveloped her, enveloped our home and a calmness. And uh, God is good and all is well. And, and it just took over the home, took over our house, took over my life. And I, I truly... I experienced Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God, that he can be trusted in all situations. He's that good. Mm. Um, how many here have ever been to an orchestra before and heard a symphony or something like that play? So I was at the symphony once in I was got there early, and they were warming up. Supposedly, this incredible symphony, and they were all warming up, and and you had the trumpets over there warming up, and the violins, and the clarinets, and the flutes, and get the drums going on, and and it was just chaos. I was like, oh my gosh. What did I get myself? I paid good money for this. This is crazy. And it was just, just insane. And, and uh, they were just all warming up and getting in tune, I, I, is what I was told. And, and all that crazy chaos drama was happening. 
until this man walked in from the side. He had a little tuxedo on. He walked very elegantly and dignity with dignity and stood there. His shoulders were broad. His head was up. And he pulled this little instrument out called a baton. And he raised his hands after he did this. All the instruments went silent. And there was this quietness. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for your rod and your staff comfort me. And he goes like this. And he dropped his hands. And when he dropped his hands, this melody and this harmony began to flow from these very instruments a few moments ago that were horrendous. That, I, that were screeching and making noises that made my insides just like weird and feel bad and terrible. And suddenly, all of a sudden, everything changed at the moment the, the, the conductor walked into the room. When the conductor walks into your room, everything changes. And our problem is we want peace, but we don't want the conductor. We want chaos to go away, but we won't invite the conductor into our symphony. We want drama to leave our home and our lives and everything to calm down and we'll cuss at this person and be, badger that person and talk about that person and everything's going wrong in our life. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a conductor waiting in the wings and all you have to do is say, come. And he comes and you give him permission to take the center stage and he lifts his rod and his staff and when he drops his hands, everything changes in your life. It's his presence. It's his presence that changes everything. It's his presence. It's his presence. Don't you want his presence, church? It brings peace. Thank you, Lord. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Our peace. There's storms going on right now in certain people's lives, situations happening, circumstances going on in people's lives right here, right now. I'm here to tell you that there is a God of peace available for you. There's a God of peace available for your circumstance. And nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. We have our prayer teams. They're going to be standing here in the front, available to pray with you. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. I'm going to tell you the God of peace is here for you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your Lord. We'd like nothing better for you to come and let us pray with you about that. With eyes bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, you would say, Pastor JP, I... I need peace in my world right now. I just 
just need some peace in my world. Can you just lift your hand? Come on, I just, I just need peace in my world, yeah. Come on, all over this room. I need peace, yeah. So, Father, you see us. There's storms in some people's world. And some of us, Lord, there's storms coming. For some, we're coming out of a storm. For some, we're right in the middle of one. And so I declare peace, Jehovah Shalom. I declare peace, Lord, in their, their lives, all of our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Bathe us with your presence, with your strength, with your wholeness, with your rest, with your hope, with your joy. Thank you for being a good God to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, can we give God some praise this morning? Isn't he a good God? We love you, Lord. You have a good God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.